Good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us this morning. Our guest is calling in from New Mexico. His name is Mike Bigel. We tried to do this show a couple of weeks ago. It didn't work out well. So, <laughs> Mike, are you there? Yes, I am, Sherry. How are you? I, I'm doing much better. Thank you. Um, I want you to tell our listeners a little bit about your background. You have a pretty significant background. I, uh, you know, entered the uh, Drug Enforcement Administration and served with that agency for 31 years. I was the special agent in charge of the Caribbean and San Diego divisions. And then I was also in charge of international operations, which means that I was in charge of all offices around the world Anything outside uh, the continental United States, I was in charge of. And I was responsible for some of the agency's largest operations. For example, uh, after the fall of the Taliban, I created a 25-country uh, initiative called Operation Containment to basically address the uh, movement of heroin from Afghanistan. I did the Another initiative that was uh, that involved 36 countries in Latin America, and as a result of that, I was able to get these countries to start sharing information, working together, and created what we call the Centers for Drug Intelligence, which are now operational worldwide. That's pretty remarkable, and something obviously that's really needed. Tell me a little bit about what's going on in Mexico, because that's primarily, I think, it's primarily where we're affected by the illegal drugs that are going on. Well, let me uh, backtrack. Uh, in the uh, 1980s, Sherry, uh, there was only one major drug cartel operating in Mexico, and that was the Guadalajara Cartel headed by a state judicial police officer from the state of Sinaloa. And the cartel was extremely powerful. Uh, they became powerful when they started to traffic uh, cocaine coming out of Colombia. And then we really started a worldwide manhunt after the killing of one of our agents, Enrique Kiki Camarena in February of 1985. I remember that. And we did a manhunt. I captured the source of supply for the Guadalajara Cartel, a Honduran by the name of Juan Ramon Mata Ballesteros in Cartagena after a lengthy uh, investigation. And we captured all the leaders the last one being Miguel Angel Felix Gallardo in 1989. And when that occurred, there was a little bit, there was a fragmentation because members of that cartel, Sherry, met in Mexico City. Most people think it was in Puerto Vallarta, but it was actually in Mexico City. And at that point in time, they divided territories within Mexico, for example, Baja California, Norte, went to the Ariano Felix brothers, the Tijuana, called the Tijuana Cartel, then we had the Juarez Cartel, 
that uh, was headed by Amado Carrillo Fuentes, and I'm sure that a lot of your listeners uh, know a lot about him. He was called the Lord of the Skies because he used French-made caravels and DC-9s to smuggle uh, cocaine from Colombia. You know, we're talking about loads 12 to 15 metric tons. Wow. And then the Sinaloa cartel went to Chapo Guzman, who is now uh, serving a life sentence plus 30 years at the Supermax in Florence, Colorado. So there was a fragmentation that took place. And then later, uh, when Felipe Calderon became president in 2006 to 2012, he went after the uh, cartels because they did, in fact, provide a national security threat to Mexico and, and I would say to the United States. Yes. So he um, started to attack them using uh, primarily the uh, Mexican Marines, and they killed 25 out of 37 major, uh, killed or captured 25 of 37 uh, major drug lords. The only thing is that what he didn't foresee is that under his kingpin strategy, there would be a tremendous fragmentation, and the cartels fragmented. They started to compete with each other for territory, for control of the drug routes, for control of uh, Mexico's seaports, and that basically uh, just uh, skyrocketed violence in Mexico. Right now, there is a multitude of what I would consider to be small cartels or, um, you know, minor uh, organized crime groups. But there's two major drug cartels currently operating in, in Mexico. And I call them supersized cartels because they are huge. And that is the Sinaloa cartel. Uh, uh, when Chapo Guzman was uh, serving time in Mexico and then subsequently uh, extradited to the United States, the cartel became um, headed up by an individual by the name of Ismael Mayo Zambada. And Mayo Zambada is an old-time capo. He is the oldest existing capo in Mexico. And, Sherry, he's very much like Carlo Gambino, of traditional organized crime here in the United States, because if you recall, uh, Carlo Gambino never spent one day in jail here in the United States. And the same thing with Ismael Mayo Zambada. He has never been captured. He has never spent one night in jail. And very astute. You know, he's, he doesn't make mistakes. He stays up in the mountains. And it's very difficult to generate an operation in the uh, Sierra uh, Madre Mountains. And I've been up there on numerous occasions on operations. And if you don't want to be found, you're never going to be found. And he never ventures out of that mountainous uh, terrain. Uh, the other cartel, Sherry, is the Jalisco New Generation Cartel headed by a very violent uh, individual by the name of Nemesio Seguira Cervantes, and he's better known by his alias, El Mencho. El Mencho was uh, born and raised in uh, the state of Michoacan, 
And he became a, a gangster, primarily a sicario or a gunman for for the uh, millennial uh, the millennial cartel that has since fragmented. And uh, his cartel, the Jalisco New Generation Cartel, is the most rapidly expanding cartel in Mexico because they operate in about uh, 25, 26 of 32 uh, states in Mexico. Currently, they're at war with a cartel known as the Cartel Unidos or the United Cartel in the state of Michoacán. And why are they in the state of Michoacán? For several reasons, Sherry. Number one, it's El Mencho's home state. So it's a matter of pride for him to control that state. Secondly, uh, they have the uh, port of Lazaro Cárdenas in that state, which is the largest seaport that Mexico has. And they have improved railway and roadway systems in and out of that uh, port of you know, seaport, and they use it to import uh, precursor chemicals for synthetic drugs like methamphetamine and fentanyl. So he wants to control that. Secondly, Michoacan has a major avocado industry. And as we all know, the cartels are moving into other businesses other than just drugs. And the avocado industry is a $5 billion a year industry, so El Mencho wants to start taking control of that. The other thing that they have in Michoacan is a uh, major pipeline for Pemex, for for, uh, fuel. And uh, as we know, the cartels there uh, steal about $1 billion a year from uh, Pemex pipelines. Wow. (laughs) You're just blowing my mind here. I want our listeners to know that on our website, under the DEA tab, there is a a map that uh, you supplied to me. So I put it online so people could follow along so they can understand what's going on. This is huge. It's just a huge industry. And I lived in Mexico for a little while, years and years and years ago. And I can't help but wonder if the Mexican government and their people are ever going to take their country back. Well, it's going to be difficult. And here's the other aspect to it, uh, Sherry, when uh, the current president, uh, um, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, took over the presidency, he started what, uh, what, what, what he called a policy or a of, uh, you know, uh, hugs and not gunshots, abrazos y no balazos, which meant that he did not want to take a confrontational approach to uh, dealing with the cartels. So the cartels are now operating with a greater impunity, and uh, they, you know, know, it, it has done nothing because the primary objective of Lopez Obrador was to minimize the the uh, homicides, the violence in, in uh, Mexico. But what he doesn't realize is that, you know, if you don't deal with impunity, you know, that's never going to happen. 
And as long as you allow them to operate with impunity and there's no consequences, uh, you're not accomplishing anything. You're part of the you know, problem. It's, it's, the, it's part of the problem. And then uh, here, uh, less than a year ago, we arrested uh, um, uh, the ex-Secretary of Defense under the uh, Peña Nieto uh, regime, a guy by the name of General uh, Salvador Cienfuegos in Los Angeles. And he, he was charged in the uh, Southern District of New York on uh, you know, uh, drug trafficking, conspiracy, and money laundering. Well, the Mexican government, especially the Kabul of uh, Mexican generals, pressured Lopez Obrador to, uh, you know, to petition the United States to send the general back to Mexico. Well, they were able to accomplish that by saying that, you know, uh, uh, bilateral efforts on counter drug efforts. Uh, between the United States and Mexico would suffer greatly if the United States did not acquiesce. Well, they sent General Cienfuegos back to Mexico, and Mexico promised that they would investigate him. And they did a very superficial uh, investigation lasting two months. And then they came out and they said, oh, you know, there's not enough evidence. The uh, Evidence that uh, the United States sent us, uh, you know, is not uh, substantive. Well, the U.S. didn't send them everything. And then the information that was sent to them, they leaked to the media in violation of the mutual legal assistance treaty that we have with Mexico. Then they started to attack DEA, saying that the uh, charges against Cienfuegos were fabricated. And Lopez Obrador moved to pass a new security reform law in which he restricted DEA and all U.S. Law, federal law enforcement agencies operating in Mexico, such as you know, Department of Homeland Security, Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, the FBI, and the policy that he passed, number one, said that all the evidence collected by U.S. law enforcement agencies in Mexico had to be provided in its entirety to Mexico. Well, Sherry, that poses a problem because some of that intelligence that we collect is you know, very sensitive, right. and they can compromise informants, investigations, and even agents. So, you know, that that's a no-no. Then the other thing that uh, the security uh, law um, dictated is that all, anybody that was contacted by a U.S. federal law enforcement agency had to write a report and provide that to the uh, Secretary of Foreign Affairs. Well, here's the thing, is that a lot of times, you know, we have many, many communications during the day with Mexico's security forces. 
And if they have to write a report each and every time they have a contact with us, you know, they're never going to take our calls. True. And that is going to impact on tactical operations. Let's say, for example, we have information that a aircraft is coming from Colombia with a load of cocaine and it's going to land in the state of Veracruz. And this is going to happen within hours and we can't get a hold of anybody. Well, that operation is going to be flushed down the toilet. Then the third thing that they did is they took away diplomatic immunity from the U.S. law enforcement agencies. And that's also problematic because when you're dealing in an environment with uh, ultra-violent criminal organizations and you have no diplomatic immunity, uh, you you know, it's not a good thing. So those are the things that we're dealing with. And I did a lot of interviews uh, with Mexican uh, newspapers, television, and radio. And the attorney general of um, uh, Mexico, you know, made some comments that, you know, uh, you know, that, you know, we didn't know what we were doing and uh, that he was going to, um, you know, take our investigation and report it to some, uh, you know, world uh, tribunal. And, uh, you know, I came back and I said, well, look, you know, we in the DEA have about a 98% conviction rate in all of our cases. And the U.S., the Attorney General's office in Mexico has almost the reverse. They only have about a a 5% conviction rate. So, uh, you know, that caught a lot of traction in in Mexico. But when you deal with the issue of the killing of our agent, uh, Kiki Camarena, in 1985, then you have the issue of General Cienfuegos. The relations on counter-drug efforts with Mexico uh, Sherry, uh, today are very uh, dismal, and that's putting it lightly. Well, it sounds like the government is obviously helping the cartels, so I wonder how much the president's being paid. Well, I don't know that he's being paid, but uh, he has very unusual ideas, and the the thing is that, you know, he thinks that if he doesn't attack the cartels, that you know they're going to you know not kill so many people. Well, you know impunity is a very nasty thing, and he doesn't understand that by operating uh, uh, with impunity, the cartels are going to kill even more people because there's nothing to stop them. And the cartels in Mexico, Sherry, especially the Jalisco New Generation Cartel, functions like a paramilitary group. And a lot of their members uh, have uniforms. They have armored vehicles. They have military-grade weaponry, such as 50-caliber machine guns mounted on their vehicles. And many times they roll into a town 
or a city and they take it over. No one will confront them. So it is a very horrible situation. And unless Mexico does something to stop these cartels, to deal with the, uh, the situation at hand, I'm afraid that, you know, Mexico could easily become a narco state. Yeah, it sounds like it. Isn't El Chapo's wife uh, in jail, too, in prison? That's correct. She's in jail. She was apprehended at Dulles uh, International Airport in uh, Virginia. And she has been charged because uh, there was testimony in Chapo's mom's trial in New York by uh, individuals that said that she was the conduit for information emanating from Chapo Guzman, who was in prison, for example, in Altiplano in Mexico City, which is Mexico's most secure penitentiary that Chapo Guzman escaped from. But she was taking information from uh, Chapo Guzman to the uh, Sinaloa cartel, And I have to say that Emma Coronel married Chapo Guzman, if I remember correctly, in about 2008. And she is 32 years younger than Chapo Guzman. But she is a narco princess. She was born into the drug trade because her father, Inez, and her brother, Omar, were drug traffickers when, you know, she was growing up. And then she married Chapo Guzman. So she's been in the drug trade all her life. And I know that she presents herself as a very innocent person. Well, I didn't know what my, I didn't know my husband was involved in this. And I don't (laughs) think he's involved. You know, come on. (laughs) She doesn't read the newspapers. (laughs) (laughs) It's too funny. But you sent me an article saying that she could bring down the entire empire. How would would that work? She she knows uh, the uh, entire structure of the cartel. You know, she knows who the players are, you know, like Ismael Mayo Zambada, Chapo Guzman's sons. She knows the routes that they use to smuggle uh, drugs into the United States. She obviously knows who the politicians are that are in the uh, pocket of the Sinaloa cartel. And so she she knows where Chapo's month's money is at. So there's a lot of information that she can give. And the biggest motivator for her to cooperate, Sherry, are going to be the two twin the twin daughters that she had with Chapo's mom, who are presently nine years of age. With Chapo's mom serving a life sentence, he'll never see daylight again. And if she goes to jail for a number of years, uh, that has got to be weighing heavily on her mind as she stews in a jail cell in uh, in uh, in Virginia, what will happen to her twin daughters? So I think uh, you know that's going to be her motivation to cooperate with U.S. authorities. 
What about Chapo's son? I, I heard, I don't know if it's true, I heard that um, he was captured and they had to let him go because the cartel, the people that worked for them, went in with machine guns and tore up the town that he was being held in. Well, when Lopez Obrador became president, or even before that, when he was campaigning for the presidency, Sherry, he made a statement and he said, I am going to put the military back in the barracks where they belong. In other words, he didn't believe in militarizing counter-drug efforts in Mexico like his two predecessors had done, Enrique Peña Nieto, and then even before that, uh, Felipe Calderón. But the first thing that he did is he created a National Guard consisting of, you know, uh, military, you know, uh, people from the, uh, the Navy, the Army, and then he also incorporated the, what used to be the federal police into that component. They're not very well trained. And uh, I don't believe in the use of the military, for example, in Mexico on counter-drug efforts, um, simply because they're not trained investigators, just like, you know, DEA or the FBI or what have you are not, you know, trained in military tactics for the most part. So the National Guard went into the mouth of the Lobo. They went right into the heartland of the Sinaloa cartel, went into Culiacan, and captured one of uh, Chapo Guzman's sons uh, by the name of Ovidio. And they had him there, and there was an immediate reaction by the Sinaloa cartel. They responded in trucks with mounted 50 caliber machine guns. They started shooting up buildings, shooting up cars, and they surrounded the house where the National Guard had Ovidio. And the National Guard went in there without any air support, you know, no planning whatsoever, and they found themselves trapped. So they let Ovidio go after the Sinaloa cartel had killed eight people, and, uh, you know, they, they had to withdraw, and they let Ovidio go, which sent a horrible message to the other cartels that if we capture one of your people and you generate a violent response, we'll probably let him go. That was the message that was sent. Uh, yeah, that's the message uh, I got. Go. <laughs> Correct. It, it's just a ter- terrible message. And again, going back to what I said with impunity, allowing the cartels to operate with impunity. Wow. I, I just don't understand some of the workings down in Mexico anymore. It used to be a beautiful, well, it's still a beautiful country, but what's going on down there is not so hot. No, it's not. And and one of it, it's good that, uh, you know, we talk about these issues, Sherry, because a lot of people, you know, they really don't understand what is going on in around the world in terms of, the drug trade, you know, a lot of times they see uh, television programs and they see a SWAT team going into a house 
and they come out with a lid of grass or what have you. You know, there's organizations out there that are trafficking tons of uh, drugs. And the Mexican cartels have, you know, created a new portfolio, a very diversified portfolio of crime, which makes them even more resilient to law enforcement efforts. You know, they traffic in heroin, marijuana, cocaine, methamphetamine, fentanyl. They're involved in extortion, kidnappings. They're involved in the uh, theft of lumber. They're involved in, you know, the avocado industry. They're involved in theft from uh, Mexican uh, gas pipelines. So they are making a lot of money. They're very resilient. And, uh, you know, it, it doesn't bode well for Mexico, but it also doesn't bode well for the United States because it just means more drugs uh, being funneled into the U.S. consumer market. Yeah, and I've, I've said it repeatedly, stop supporting the cartel. Now you're telling me avocados coming from Mexico are probably grown by a, a, a drug lord. So don't buy avocados from Mexico. But, you know, just hit them in their pocketbook. How long is this president, Mexican president, going to be in office? Well, Mexican presidents, uh, unlike ours, that, you know, serve four years and then can be reelected for four years, Mexican presidents uh, only serve a, uh, one term, and that's six years. So if I remember correctly, uh, Lopez Obrador should have about, I would say, another four years, more or less. Oh, my God. That's too much. <laughs> do, do they have a recall thing in, in Mexico? But I imagine he's being so nice to the cartel that, you know, they're going to support anything he does. Try to get him reelected. Well, no? well, and then, and then, you know, uh, uh, unfortunately, there's a lot of people that don't like Lopez Obrador, but you know, he does have widespread uh, support in Mexico. And let me give you another. You know, he he is uh, a member, and he created it of the Morena Party, which is the uh, regen the new re regeneration party. And I have to tell you a, a story because. You know, I started getting calls from reporters here uh, about a week ago because there's an individual running for mayor in Huetamo, Michoacan, an, an individual by the name of Rogelio Portillo Jaramillo. And this man is wanted in Houston, Texas, on drug trafficking charges. And he is uh, also a member of the Morena Party. And if he gets elected to Huetamo, Michoacan, which is just north of the uh, seaport of Lazaro Cárdenas, it's going to open up the doors for the uh, Jalisco New Generation Cartel to take over that state. The, the individual's uh, father uh, is also a drug dealer. His uncle is a drug dealer, and then his cousin is a cell leader for the Jalisco New Generation Cartel. And this man, Rogelio Portillo Jaramillo, gives press conferences, and he says, well, 
you know, DEA knows where I'm at. You know, and they, you know, you know, my telephone number is public. Well, you know, he skews the truth because, you know, Mexico is a sovereign nation. We we just can't go in there and and arrest him, uh, you know, off the streets. You know, we'd have to request his extradition and what have you. So he just uh, lies and says he's not the same individual, but in fact uh, he is. So uh, it's uh, a sad state of affairs also because, you know, this man is going to protect the interests of the uh, Jalisco New Generation Cartel within that uh, state of Michoacan. Do you think if people just stop going to Mexico to to visit Mexico because of everything that's going on that would have a significant change in how they treat the cartel? That uh, could uh, potentially help, Sherry. But I think that Joe Biden's got his work cut out uh, in terms of applying pressure to uh, Lopez Obrador to change his stance. Uh, you know, Lopez Obrador, Lopez Obrador, you know, needs to change, the, you know, the tactic that he's using of uh, hugs and not gunshots. But I think it's also equally important for the U.S. to sit down with Mexico and come up with, uh, you know, a new strategy, a new strategy that will deal with the issues at hand there. But at the same time, here in the United States, we have to do a better job in terms of curbing the demand for illegal drugs. And until we curb that demand, if it's not Mexico and it's not Colombia, it's going to be another country. Because, you know, we're dealing with the basic uh, law of economic supply and demand, unfortunately. That's true. And then... Lately, for the last several months, it's all the buzzwords have been police reform, but nobody's talking about drug reform. And a lot of the, you know, high-profile incidents that have happened the last several months have all involved illegal drugs. They're on them, they're selling them, they're using them. You know, that if some of these people would get off the drugs that they're using, they might even be alive today. Well, that's true, and... You know, I, I believe in, in treatment as well, but unfortunately, a lot of the treatment facilities, Sherry, you know, they uh, take in, you know, uh, these individuals that are addicted to drugs, but, you know, what they do is they clean them out. You know, they, you know, they, they uh, um, you know, dry them up, if you will, but then what they do is they release them and usually there's no follow-up. So, you know, they go, they go back to their neighborhoods, to the same people that sold them drugs, and they're back on drugs, you know, within a, a couple of weeks. Yeah, and that's why I'm thinking, you know, they need to do something. Instead of pouring all this money into, you know, this police reform and asking social workers to answer, you know, these calls, why not... Put some money into the fact that, you know, hey, we're going to watch you. We're going to get you clean off the drugs. We're going to monitor you. And you have a one-time chance. You do need to do the follow-up. And if you don't do the follow-up, you're going to jail. Well, true. And the other thing, too, Sherry, 
is that you know this is this has got to be a community type of affair, and you know families uh, need to do their part. The schools, you know, the churches, mm-hmm. uh, you know, this is not only a law enforcement matter. And people say, "Oh, the war on drugs, the war on drugs." Well, I don't look at it as a war on drugs because all wars have an end. All wars have an end. And I'm not so sure this one is going to have an end, so I refer to it as a permanent campaign against illegal drugs. Right. Right, and it's unfortunate, but that's so true. And they're making a big deal about some things, and they should be making a big deal about the illegal drugs that people are using. And I've, I've said it on a previous show, can't the families who aren't doing an intervention and helping their loved ones who were such a great father or mother or whatever it was, why can't they be held responsible for the fact that that person is still on drugs? Well, you know, I'm, you know, in today's world, Sherry, and I understand it, uh, is that both parents work. Uh, and a lot of times they don't monitor, you know, who the the child, for example, is uh, associating with or, you know, uh, you know, uh, noticing uh, that, you know, he's behaving in a lethargic way or, you know, that he could possibly, he or she could possibly be using drugs. So there's a lot that, uh, you know, comes into uh, play. But, you know, and sometimes I, uh, it's the parent that's on the drugs. <laughs> Well, that's true. And then the the other thing, too, is that, you know, a lot of the states are not legalizing marijuana. How do you feel about might... that? Because that I didn't uh, vote for that. What? How do you feel about legalizing marijuana? Well, I don't I don't believe in legalizing any legal drug. And uh, here's the long and short is that when I came on with DEA, Sherry, the active ingredient, tetrahydrocannabinol, or, you know, as it's referred to by its acronym, uh, THC, was maybe about 1%. You know, they used to refer to it as ditch weed. Right. And then later, you know, it became uh, genetically uh, engineered, and the THC levels are much higher. You know, they could go as high as 30%. And marijuana is not an innocuous drug. It's a hallucinogenic drug. And all countries that have experimented with legalization, uh, you know, it, you know, they met with dismal failure. You take a look at Amsterdam and the, the uh, Netherlands, you know, that, uh, you know, they have the infamous coffee houses there where you can go in and buy uh, five grams of hashish or marijuana. And uh, the Dutch laws are, you know, very distorted. You know, it's legal to use them at these coffee houses, but it's illegal to cultivate or distribute. So, you know, that's, you know, but that's the uh, Dutch system of laws. And I remember in 1989 in the uh, Netherlands, they only had like three international criminal groups operating in that country. By 1993, there were over 90 criminal organizations operating in that country. And then drug abuse by school-aged children just uh, went through the ionosphere. Now, here, 
for example, in New Mexico, you know, uh, we're one of the highest states uh, in the nation, you know, with uh, teenage drug abuse. And, you know, we have a lot of property crime because, because primarily of, of the use of illegal drugs. And you take a look at uh, Colorado. And I remember when they first legalized it, uh, they said that, uh, you know, that, you know, they were going to control it. Well, they haven't controlled it because that the marijuana has been filtering into uh, adjoining states. And some states have actually filed suit against Colorado. The superintendent of Cherry Creek Schools, uh, an individual by the name of uh, Mr. Bull, said that he was promised... Um, a lot of uh, resources for the schools, and the only thing that they got was more marijuana. And, and you know, to me, it's a mistake. Um, uh, And, you know, why do we want to usher in another era of big tobacco? And even though, you know, I, I can't say that marijuana is a gateway drug, uh the the problem is and i've seen it is that when people lose their fear they use marijuana for example they lose their fear many times in using harder drugs and you know here we go again with the evolving cycle and if the parents are using drugs then what type of uh, role model is that for the uh, for their kids and and other children you know, within the community. So the the uh, Mexican cartels, uh, you know, they they will be able to undersell these uh, legitimate uh, dispensaries, and you know they have more varieties. They've been in this business for over a half a century, so uh, you know it's not going to curtail it. But the Mexican cartels really don't need, you know, marijuana because they're big money makers right now, Sherry, are synthetic drugs, fentanyl and uh-huh. methamphetamine. So, uh, you know, and, and uh, those are very easy to produce. They make a lot of money. For example, fentanyl is a painkiller, Sherry. It's uh, 50 times stronger than heroin and 100 times stronger than morphine. Wow. I was doing research uh, uh, some time back, and I went on the Internet, and I was able to find a company in China that where I could buy a kilo of pure fentanyl for a little over $9,000 U.S., obviously. And, and uh, with that kilo of fentanyl if I were to use adulterants uh, in tablet, you know, that the, the, the powder uh, from that initial, uh, you know, a little over $9,000 investment, I could make $2 million on the streets here in, in the United States. That's insane. And how many people are you killing in the process? That, that's absolutely right. And the thing is that, you know, the, uh, the Mexican cartels are importing, uh, you know, ephedrine, pseudoephedrine for the manufacture of methamphetamine. 
And then they also import uh, the drug, and I can't pronounce it because it's about, you know, a mile long. But, it, uh, you know, it's ANPP for the manufacture of uh, fentanyl. And uh, so, you know, we have major issues that we have to address here in the United States. Yes, I I totally agree. And instead of police reform, let's do drug reform. Let's get rid of the root of the problem. And- yeah, and we need to get rid of politicians. You know that you know. You know we get politicians here in New Mexico that come in and they try, they 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 uh, discuss the problems with uh, illegal drugs, but offer no solutions. You know. You know we know what the problem is. You know let's, let's the the photo ops and come <laughs> and come up with uh, with solutions. <laughs> You're absolutely right. It is a photo ops. I want to, before we run out of time, I didn't even realize we didn't take a break, but we need to talk about your books. Sure. So was the deal that you wrote your first book? Because I did some research and you're involved in a lot of books. Yes. I, I, my first book was deal and that was probably uh, my uh, autobiography and it tracks my career in you know, growing up here in northern New Mexico, coming on board with uh, DEA, you know, working undercover in Mexico, in Colombia. Uh, I do have to tell you, when I was in Colombia, I used to sit, sit, you know, maybe about four or five feet away from Pablo Escobar oh, <laughs> at soccer games. And, uh, you know, so, so I've been in some very, very... Uh, significant hotspots around the world. And then I've written uh, uh, four other books, five, but I just finished my sixth one, which is undergoing editing as we speak, and I would have already finished it except my hard drive went up in a puff of smoke. I know. <laughs> so, so I killed all the editing that I had done. Fortunately, I had the, uh, the book saved. Uh, so all of them are, you know, very interesting. I would highly recommend them to your readers. I've got Deal. I've got Land of Enchantment Cartel, uh, Narco Queen, Metal Coffins. And then the, the last one that was published was uh, Afghan Warlord. And I have to but tell you, them, when you read these books, this isn't a Hollywood or an author's imagination. This is the real deal. This is, it, it is scary. It is the real deal. It is a real deal, Sherry, and I try to educate the readers into the and, 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 and bring them into the world of, you know, illicit drugs, the, the world of drug trafficking. And it's not a nice world. It's a very murky and dark world. And, um, I, you know, some of, uh, you know, I do interviews on, on uh, television and radio and uh, they say, well, your books are so violent. And that's... I said, well, you know, that's the drug trade. The drug trade is, you know, goes hand in glove with violence. You know, it's all about violence. I don't and think the, the average one... person realizes how violent the torture, the, you know, dismemberment. I don't think people realize just how violent this trade is. And we need to put a stop to it. it exactly. And, and you're right, Sherry, in Mexico... You have violent cartels like the, again, the Jalisco New Generation Cartel. And then you had the Setas, which were members, deserters, if you will, of the uh, 
Mexican special forces, and they would dismember, behead individuals, and then they would put the uh, torsos literally into a small mountain on the outskirts of uh, cities and towns, and it was their calling card. It was their way of intimidating not only the government but other uh, rival cartels. And uh, so the books are are very good, uh, and they also, a lot of it is based on my experiences, uh, you know, working in DEA. And unlike many authors, Sherry, you know, I I don't have to go do research. I don't do an outline. I just type chapter by chapter because I've got thousands of uh, things in my mind that I experienced uh, in the United States, Mexico, Colombia, Bolivia, Brazil, the Caribbean, Afghanistan, and other areas. So, so they're very real, uh, and like I said, uh, you know, they're fast reads, they're easy reads, but uh, it, it it opens up a, a door for people to see inside, you know, the uh, these major drug trafficking organizations and how. They operate in the mentality behind the, the men that run them. Yeah, that's a good point. The mentality behind the men that run them. It's just scary. And if people don't do something, step up to the plate. If you've got somebody you're living with or you know somebody who's on drugs, let's get them to rehab. If you go to lawmatters1030.org, underneath the DEA tab, there's a list of resources to help you help your loved one get off the drugs and there's there's no end to this and to say oh i don't have insurance no excuse there are organizations out there that will help you for free so i want everybody to go out and read these books educate yourself on on what's really going on and Sherry, uh, they can buy these books uh, on Amazon online. You know, they're all available on Amazon. All they have to do is look up my name, uh, Michael uh, Vigil, V as in Victor, I G I L. And uh, you know, uh, my my uh, sixth book called The Rise of the Sicario uh, should be out uh, hopefully uh, next month. And that's the one that I. Uh you had to re-edit? Uh, that's the one I'm re-editing as we speak. As we speak. So so it killed me, and I, I, you know, I try to get it as clean as I can before I send it to the publishers. So I lost it. So uh, I'm almost done once again, but the writing a book for me is very easy. Editing is a pain in the neck. I hear that. Well, writing's easy because you lived it. You've been there, done that. And you don't have to conjure up some imaginary person. It's This is reality, unfortunately. Yeah. And I don't have to go do research, you know, like most authors would have to fly to Michoacan, to Sinaloa, to some of the Mexican states or Colombia or or Afghanistan. You know, it's, it's all in my mind. Well, I, I appreciate everything that you're doing. I thank you for your service. I don't think, and I had a conversation this morning with somebody, I don't think people realize just to what degree the good guys go to to keep us safe and keep our country safe. 
Well, Sherry, if I can uh, just uh, give kudos to, uh, you know, all the first responders, the men and women of law enforcement, uh, you know, the doctors, nurses, and others uh, in the healthcare industry that are, you know, fighting uh, COVID-19. And uh, so there's a lot of people out there, you know, that deserve a lot of credit and very appreciative of everything that they do every day for this country of ours. Absolutely. And how are you doing? You didn't get COVID, did you? No, I didn't. Thank God. You know, I uh, got the uh, Pfizer ma- vaccine. Uh, so, uh, you know, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I still take precautions, obviously. Yeah, until uh, everybody's vaccinated. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, I, I hope uh, all your listen- listeners, uh, you know, decide to get vaccinated because, you know, the alternative uh, you know, is... Uh, Horrible situation, and you know, especially uh, you know, with the uh, mutant uh, COVID virus, that you know, the, the mutations that are evolving, uh, you know, they're even more deadly. We only have about a minute left. Do you have a website? Uh, I don't have a, a website. Uh, you know, I'm pretty much uh, not very uh, compu- uh, computer savvy. I know how to type on it. I know basic functions. But keep in mind, when I was in high school, you know, the only technology we had was an old IBM Selectric typewriter. I was going to say, that was state-of-the-art. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that was slightly after uh, Christ resurrected Lazarus, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> You're so funny. But if people go to Amazon, go to the book section and just type in your name. Yeah, type in my name, uh, Michael Mihill, and then, you know, they can put in uh, Deal, which is my first book, uh, Land of Enchantment Cartel, Afghan Warlord, uh, Narco Queen, and then Metal Coffins. On uh, Metal Coffins, make sure that they... Uh, uh, by the book that has uh, a hand on the cover with a you know a Beretta nine millimeter because uh, there was a uh, fraudulent, com- fraudulent company in New York that uh, you know uh, put out the book and uh, so make sure it's uh, the one with the, the handgun uh, you know on the cover. And if you go to our website, lawmatters1030.org. And go to the podcast. I have a picture of his book there. His name is spelled B-I-G-I-L. Until next week, Michael, thank you so much for coming on. Till next week, shop local.